tap it in. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Big Players Only Podcast, the best place to catch up on golf from around the world, including the golf of your favorite Big Players cast, Ben, Josh, Tyler, Tully, Colin, and Kenny Oneput. We're a partner of the Listen Frederick Podcast Network and sponsored by the best-tasting, pre-mixed transfusion on the market for craft cocktails. Revamped and now 7%. You can get these bad boys shipped right to your front door. Go check them out at fourcraftcocktails.com. We got a fun one for you today. Myself, Ben, Josh, Tyler, Colin, and Tully with you in the studio. We'll take a look at the FedEx St. Jude from this past weekend, the first event on the PGA Tour FedEx Cup playoff schedule. We got a few storylines, including controversy between Scotty Scheffler and Cam Smith, world number one, world number two. We had notable miscuts and a really great playoff between Will Zalatoris and Ken's least favorite golfer, Sepp Straka. And then on the women's side, we'll recap this past week at the LPGA and for the Amateur Championship, the U.S. Women's Amateur at Chambers Bay. A wonderful event. The course looked amazing. It looked lush. A lot different than it did in 2015 for the Men's U.S. Open. The big players also had a chance to get out to Musket Ridge this past Saturday. Had a little 2v2 match. We'll break down the teams, the good vibes, and share some of the funnier stories from the outing. And looking forward to this week, we have the second event in the FedEx Cup playoffs, the BMW Championship. A compressed field of only 70 golfers from the 125 that competed last week at the FedEx St. Jude. They'll be competing at Wilmington Country Club in Delaware. This course might not be that well-known, but it does have some deep roots and history in the game of golf. Looking at a par 71, playing well over 7,500 yards. It's going to be a pretty demanding week of golf. A field, too, that will not include world number two, Cam Smith, as he cites taking a break for some injuries that have been nagging him. The live rumors continue to swirl for Cam, so we'll talk more about that. Thanks, everyone, for being here, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Four Craft Cocktails, the best tasting and easiest drinking transfusion on the market. Whether you're on the course, at a tailgate, or enjoying a Friday night with your friends, you'll find the pre-mixed 7% Four Craft Transfusion just what you're looking for to mix things up. With a variety of other products, including a Bloody Mary, Ranch Water, and a coming this summer John Daly, it's the go-to beverage for the big players. A family-owned, all-natural, gluten-free drinking option that has the guys playing their best and feeling even better. You can find all their retail locations at 4craftcocktails.com. That's F-O-R-E, craftcocktails.com. And make sure to mention to your local beer shop and golf course that we need these things everywhere. All right, big shout-out. Will Zalator is getting his first win on the PGA Tour. We knew it was coming. It's a guy like Cam Young, right? These two guys are ranked in the top 10 in the world, 15 in the world, and hadn't had a win on the PGA Tour. Unreal stuff. He does get it done in a playoff, though, against Sepp Straka. Three holes, and that third hole was a doozy. These guys, Sepp puts it in the water. Will puts it on the rocks next to the water. Will goes back to the drop zone, ends up winning the playoff with a bogey. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on the playoff? Yeah, I mean, it was great Great to see Willie finally get that victory. And, you know, Sepp is public enemy number one for Kenny. So on his birthday, for Willie to make sure that didn't happen, that was huge. 
know, we don't have Kenny with us today, but I don't. I think it was like the Honda or some event in that in that East Coast swing where Ken just decided that Sepp Straka was just like not his guy. So to see him in this playoff, we were all sitting around actually celebrating Ken's thirtieth birthday, and we told him Sepp was in the playoff, and he immediately was just like, "Ah, oh, screw Sepp." It was so. Good. Do we know what Sepp did to really kind of get under his skin? I can't remember. He was what a bulldog. Was. I, know. Yeah. I think he took down his guy or former guy Berger in at the Honda this year, right? You're right. Because Berger had like a huge lead after two rounds and then Sepp caught yeah, it. Yeah, was, it was absolutely Berger. Yeah, because Berger shot. Yeah, Berger was playing so good there at the Honda. And then Berger, I think, well, ended up blowing it. And I think um, Shane Lowry also could have won that event. But yeah, <laughs> just so funny. But as far as entertainment value goes, I mean, what a great playoff. It was, the, I guess, the third playoff hole he won it on. So the first one, pretty routine. They both hit fairway, both hit the green, long birdie putts, pars. The next, they replay 18. Uh, Zalatoris almost hits it at OB right, so he's playing from behind trees. Sepp ends up hitting it right against the water, has to take a drop. They both salvage bogeys out of it. And then the third playoff hole, of course, Willie Z goes first, puts it on the rocks, defied the laws of physics by staying up after he hit the rocks six different times almost. And then Sepp, all he has to do is hit the green. He wins the tournament and dunks it in the water. So then we saw the you know 15-minute decision of, of Willie Z to take the drop rather than playing it up against the rock. So it was pretty fascinating to kind of follow kind of his decision-making process there. I found it really disappointing, though. Like, that's how it ended. Like, a bogey winning it just because they both played that hole poorly, which was theoretically, you know, looking at the holes, like, that is not nearly as entertaining of a hole more times than not than 18, like, would have been. But obviously there was a lot of, like, chaos that happened. It was just like a bogey to win your first feels like, Wow, really? Him making like a long birdie putt would have been like so much more rewarding. That's like we would expect from him. It's like he's played so well and we're like, oh, he's just kind of short. It's like we kind of expected him to come out and actually win one. And he does win one. But like you said, with a bogey, he's kind of anticlimactic. Except getting a double bogey for you to be able to win with a bogey. It feels like, eh. To that point, though, I think one of the things we always complain about Zalatoris is we say that his putting stroke is not that pretty. We know statistically he putts pretty well, but he makes like an eight-footer there to win the playoff. Oh, I know with a bogey, but still really impressive stuff. Yeah, props to Ben. You were the, we were watching that, and you were the only one who called that he should, and he did, take that drop. We're all saying, oh, just hit the putter off the rock. Just hit it up. It can't be can't, – you got to get it relatively close from there. And Ben's like, no, he's going to take it back and, and stuff it. And sure enough, that's what he did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels – the fact that Sepp went into the bunker there from his from the drop zone, you know, it gave him a lot of flexibility for sure. It was funny. I was watching a video. I guess one of the pros at that course went out there the next day and was trying different shots from that exact place Willie Z was every time he put in the water. So yeah, he would like hit it and the they would right, hit right the Bermuda decision. and bounce right back. Like he couldn't get it out of there. So I agree. Yeah. How about uh biggest maybe thing for Willie is he gets rid of his caddy. First tournament with that new caddy, just immediately gets the first win. Also a swing coach, right? So, I mean, at least familiar with each other. Yeah, but it's just, you know, that, that poor guy just... He just couldn't get it done. Yeah, I do. I do. You know, that guy put in. That guy put in the work. You're right, and he didn't get to. He didn't get to share in the celebration of his win. I'm sure they're still close off the course, but you're right. So then, um, oh, so, the, so I think the big thing here is right. So Will Zalatoris wins. He gets two thousand FedEx Cup points, and he's just number one already. He's number one. Like Scotty Scheffler has what I thought was one of the better years. I know, obviously, Scotty started hot and kind of you know drug it home a little bit. Didn't win or come any you know no top threes. I would say in the last three months of the season, but has one of the better seasons in, in you know the last ten years. And for one event for Will Zalatoris just to jump him and be number one. I think we got to rethink the points here in the playoffs just a little bit more. I know you want to make them valuable so guys can make big jumps and get themselves into the playoffs. Uh, but now you got Scotty Scheffler. I know he missed a cut, so I, I don't have too much compassion for him. He missed the cut. 
But it does kind of stink that like now he just gets jumped, and if he misses the cut again, he could drop down outside the top three or four if someone else wins. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to feel too bad for Scotty. He's only trailing, I think, by like a hundred like twenty five points or something at this point. Versus you know Cam Smith, who actually was there, played, made the cut, had a maybe like top twenty or something. I'm just not sure where exactly he finished. Who's still now trailing Zalatoris by like twelve hundred points or yeah. something like that. So like Scotty's still right there, plenty of time to make up those hundred and twenty five points. So I don't really feel too bad, but you know, props on Willie. He's at this point guaranteed himself a spot for um the tour championship, which when it cuts down to thirty. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And he's gotta be one of the ones you're looking at to win it too. I mean, his ball striking and putting is really coming together. He's maturing so nicely. Well, and I think he uh encapsulated it pretty well. He made that par on the seventy second hole. He makes a putt and I think kind of subconsciously just screams out, What are they gonna say about me now? Because yeah. his putting used to just get dogged all the time because you see all those slow mo clips of this ugly putting stroke. But he putted the ball really well, which is kind of what's held him back for so long. That's Steph Curry inspired, right? Yeah. When they won the championship. What are they going to say now, huh? I did love seeing uh, Adam Sandler come out and like tweet congratulations to him. Yeah. You know, the whole caddy reference. I mean, it seems like Happy's happy for you, Will. It, it seems like Will's a nice guy on the surface, and I think with all these tour pros coming out, Tony Finau, Sam, uh, or um, Max Homa, like guys, like I, you can tell that the tour guys love him as well. We just talked about Scotty losing his number one spot, but how about this drama between Scotty and Cam? Was it round one or round two? Cam, round, one. round one, Cam's kind of lining up a putt. He's kind of sitting back reading the putt, and Scotty kind of, I've heard, he just he did, just made a bogey and kind of walks across Cam's line. Not in Cam's line, but across like his visual line. Cam looks up at Scotty with the most disgusting-looking face I've ever seen, and the and the Twitter world went nuts. What are you guys' thoughts on yeah, it? Golf Twitter went crazy thinking it was, you know, Scotty standing up for the tour after all PGA the drama. Last week. Yeah, it was all that sort of stuff. And literally the whole before, Cam Smith and Scotty were like high five and like yucking it up together. So I don't think it was really anything dramatic there. But the confused look on Cam's face was just comical to see. Yeah. And then, you know, Cam Smith in the center of a lot of controversy this week, including the overnight penalty stroke that got called on him. Oh, that's true. Kind of maybe some uh, conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat <laughs> kind of stuff there. It's like somebody called in like, we got to make sure this guy does not win this tournament. Let's give him a penalty stroke for some bullshit because, you know, he took the wrong drop. I think putting all that aside, right, it does – I hate that that people can call in. You can watch the coverage and call in and suggest that someone had a rules infraction and the next day they can assess the penalty. Unfortunately, it was Cam here, and I know we have a lot of stuff looming over Cam and him leaving the tour and going to live kind of stuff, but it happens. It's not like they singled him out, but I don't like that rule at all. Yeah, can we discuss that for a second? So, like, the – he took a drop as he was supposed to do based on the situation and like just part of the ball was on the red line for the penalty area and that's what the he got called for. Right. When you take a drop, you're not allowed to play from the penalty area that you took the you drop have to from. Take full relief. It was from. like just like the slightest sliver like of the uh, ball. It was like it at least like half ridiculous. the ball. It was like at least half the ball. But I I mean I don't think it was a rule that I really conceptually makes sense, but I don't think that I would have thought about that. And hell, him and they have a tour official kind of walking around with him and they didn't see it either. Well, normally I think these things get get caught like as he's finishing his round yeah i don't i don't think these this happens too often that it's overnight the next day they they rewatch the tape and assess the penalty so definitely uh definitely interesting yeah and ben you mentioned it they have these officials kind of walking around with them and i don't know a lot of times when they take a drop like that they'll have someone of an official come watch them do it so i'm shocked that if there was an official there or official watching this drop that he didn't say anything to him at that time. So, I mean, that's kind of on that official, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's where the ball, like, rolled to after he dropped, right? It just happened to be there, and he was like, okay, that's fine. 
Otherwise, like he would do it again. Theoretically, same thing happens. Then he gets to like place it somewhere, like with a pristine lie. Like it, he didn't really do himself any favors with the drop. It doesn't feel like a fair penalty. Yeah, if there's an official there watching it and he says it's good, then it should be good. They can't go back and look at it and say, "Oh, actually, he was wrong. Here's a, here's a penalty." Yeah, I'm wondering if there was an official there with him as he was doing the drop because I do think an official would catch that. So maybe there's something here. Maybe Cam was just acting quickly, and he maybe that's why in it, you know. You can always, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but like looking back, maybe Cam wishes he would have done that drop with the official right there because then they could have at least said that's an illegal drop, place it, right, if it was a second drop. It is kind of crazy though, like, I don't know but how you guys feel, but I feel like Cam has gone from like hero, like nice, like chill guy to just an absolute like enemy in a matter well, of weeks. Dub's favorite golfer to his least favorite golfer. And yeah, yeah I, I don't really want to talk about this, but I will because <laughs> it, it has be been a roller coaster ride of emotions from watching him win the Open, and I could not have been more excited watching him close that thing out to three days later him saying he's playing live, and now I just look at him like, man, what a piece of shit. Like, you know, not to, to that extreme, but, you know, you, you just hate the, the sellout nature of what he's doing. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, so they've had this uh, they had this player meeting today, a bigger one than a smaller one. And one one thing I heard about it was the first time they had this meeting was after the JP McManus, that pro am yeah. they played in Ireland. Their manner. Right? Yeah, and this JP McManus guy actually came out uh, with live and PGA tour guys in the room. And I kind of thought when I heard this segment they were gonna say that JP McManus backed the tour. No, he just said you guys need to figure this out. And it's just, I don't know, maybe it's making me like not I'm not taking a step back here. I don't really support Live per se, but I do think there's something there that there's probably a world where both these things can survive. And I think that part of the reason the tour doesn't want to live to survive is just because it's taking money from them. And yeah. I think that's the hard part. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, it's interesting with that meeting, like tiger's presence and like what that, like the feel you get from that, like tiger limping off of his plane to go to this meeting. And you almost feel like, and he's the one that like organized it is what I'm kind of hearing. Like at least the smaller portion, like he was highly involved with like who should actually be invited to this. Like, Basically, it's like, who is he knighting as the ones that are really going to carry the tour for the next 10, 15 years, whatever it is? Yeah, you mentioned it, knighting. I mean, Tiger is pretty much the king here, right? Like, if I'm a Live supporter, if I'm part of Live, I've got to be shaking in my boots knowing that Tiger's coming to these meetings against me, plotting against me at this point. I mean, Jack Bonifant, he said it in the interview, right? He kind of put him in the locker. He's only made one set of comments about them, and that was at the Open. And, yeah, when Tiger talks, like, the world listens. You're right. It's got a real Game of Thrones vibe to it right But now. he can really even stand on the fact that he said no to a shit ton of money. Stand oh, so like he's not word. just telling people yeah. to turn down money and sitting on his, you know, pile of money that he already made i mean he actually turned down the money to just go there and be a figurehead so he can kind of walk the walk and talk the talk at the same time yeah i think there's, there's a something lot of standing and walking <laughs> don't really seem to accommodate this. i think there's something to be said too about you know tiger's been through a lot so i'm not so sure that his image is the most important thing to him so he's sitting here he's not going to just side with the tour because it looks good for him he's going to side with the tour because it's what he thinks is best for golf yeah, and I think it's also like an interesting from Tiger's perspective. Tiger's been playing golf for fifty years, or like forty years, whatever old he is at this point. He's playing since he was like two years old. Like versus a lot of people that are going are twenty five years old, under thirty, kind of thing. It's a their view of the golf world, maybe their appreciation for the history has got to be so different. That's the hard part that gets me is when you see these young guys go to live. It's like a 40-year-old a guy that's just not – like Henrik Stenson, right? I Congrats to him for winning his first event, but he hadn't won in years, hadn't really contended in years. He goes and wins, like, good for him. There's there's a place for all this money to be given to guys that are just not going to contend anymore. But to see these young guys go over, it's really disheartening. It's that TikTok generation, man. They're all about <laughs> Damn Gen X. Well, Gen Z. 
All right, so we had some notable miscuts here, actually, at the St. Jude. We lost Rory. We lost Scotty. Who else? We lost Billy. Jordan and Billy Billy, which all are currently sitting inside of the top 30 of the rankings. So, you know, I think Rory and Scotty probably safe here. They, they fell to like two and nine, respectively. Uh, but Billy Billy and Jordan fall into 17th and 22nd for Billy Billy there. They're, they're kind of on that iffy range. You know, if they another miscut with the quadruple points you know, next week, it could be an iffy if they even make it to the tour championship. Yeah, I think Jordan at 17, if he misses a cut, he's probably got a decent chance. But Billy at 22nd, I think you can easily find eight players that, you know, you don't need many points. These guys are pretty tightly grouped. So, you know, yeah, a guy gets a 400-point difference between Billy Billy and the guy that's currently in 31st. So that's like a top... 15 yeah exactly quadruple points something like that and what does the winner get this week or like two thousand like thousands right yeah yeah so like there's definitely some you know, a little a little sweating going on maybe for billy billy there but at the same time he finishes top 30 he's in for sure so it's it'll be interesting to kind of watch i think those are definitely the storylines going into next week nice well a good week at the saint jude on the women's side we had the lpga competing at the isps honda world invitational you know, not, not an event. It was played across seas, but not an event I tuned into. But, boy, did I see this scorecard from Maya Stark shooting a 10-under final round to win by a couple. A pretty stacked leaderboard. I mean, to come from behind on Sunday and shoot 10-under, that's like some that's like Rory at the RBC Canadian kind of vibe. So, props to her. Another Swedish golfer. I'm telling you, we're getting, we got like four or five Swedish golfers that are contending in majors and playing really well when, you know, 10, 10 years ago it was only Annika Sorenstam and then maybe I mean, Madeline Sagstrom, and now we just have a, a bunch of them. Yeah, and, a, and another Swedish female we've talked a lot about, Lynn Grant, another top five. So definitely a, a strong performance there. Yeah, and you notice in the women's game, because they, they they actually play more of an international game than the men, it seems like, right? Because they kind of they travel around. So if you can play really well and win golf and international golf and you're more used to traveling and the and the you know the lag of traveling, you can play you can have yourself a really good year. And I think that's what the Swedish golfers are doing. We also had a really cool event, the women's amateur. Uh, they played it at Chambers Bay. Uh, 17-year-old Saki Baba wins. She actually beats uh, one of the local girls we've kind of been watching, Annika. She got to the semi or the quarterfinals, lost to the girl that ended up winning. So a really good performance from her. Uh, but boy, did Chambers Bay look really pretty and green when it was, I don't think there was a piece of green grass on that course when they played the U.S. Open there in 2015. Yeah, the hype it was getting from this tournament versus the hate it got after that U.S. Open is just wild and so drastically different. Yeah, so as we get into amateur amateur championship season, we have the, the men's amateur coming up here soon. They Actually, I think they're playing the stroke play event now. Uh, one of our one of our guys we follow, Dan Rappaport, tweeted and asked if we think it's still appropriate for these amateur championships to be decided by match play versus stroke play. So the way these events work is 100-plus golfers enter. They play a couple rounds of stroke play, which then cuts the field like in half, and then they all go to match play to decide a champion. What are you guys' thoughts on on match play versus stroke play? From a As a weekend golfer perspective and playing with the boys, absolutely love match play because there's it kind of it takes away some of the stress you know in terms of oh i blew up on this hole well it doesn't really matter i lost one hole i've got you know 17 more to go but when it comes to these guys and these women where you know winners of these get into majors and things like that i don't feel like it's necessarily always it's fair to basically just put it on it comes down to just two people at the end there's no chance for that kind of come from behind victory or anything like that to really be at play, given that the stakes are so high that, you know, this guy, you know, this woman, or sorry, this man in the U.S. amateur kind of situation can get into the Masters, where is like a prize thing across, you know, the golfing world versus 
you know, you know, all those other guys that could have competed. Yeah, I think the the heart of the question is right. You've just in, in theory, when you think about it, when you do a match play style event, technically speaking, the better golfer might not prevail because of you know, you know, blowing up on a hole and you just lose one hole. Versus when you do full on stroke play, it criticizes every single piece of your game. So I think that's kind of the heart of the question. Yeah, I mean, you look in the PGA Tour, like Kevin Kisner is considered arguably the best match play player on tour, but he's. You know, top 30, set, yeah, top yeah. top fifty golfer year in year out, right? Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, like who won the match play event this year? Scotty Scheffler, who we just talked about, is having the best season uh, that we've seen in a very long time. So, who's to say it doesn't separate out the best golfer? I just I like match play because I like oh you. Th- I mean, if we're talking about who's the best golfer, you're saying okay, you think you're the best? Well, let's play one-on-one and see who is the best here. I think that match play certainly can crown the best player, and often it does. I just think that there's that there's that off chance where a boomer bust kind of player gets into a championship and ends up doing really well, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I like match play because it's just we're not used to seeing it, and especially in these amateur events where, I mean, I guess the, the PJ match play event's kind of the same too, but what, how, many, how many matches do you have to win? Yeah, in the amateur, it's a lot. Yeah, in the so, amateur, yeah, six. So six it asks. Million. I mean, in that standpoint, it asks so many questions of your game, and and you're you don't know what your opponent's going to do. So you know, in a stroke play event, you go out there, you're going out there pretty much playing yourself, and you go out there and play your best round. In match play, you don't know what your opponent's going to do and how it's going to impact you from one hole to the next. So I think it lot it asks a lot of questions of these golfers, and and with it being a unique event, it's. I think it crowns the best golfer from the standpoint of you really have to adapt and kind of do something you're not used to doing in, in playing match play. See, but I would argue the opposite point that, you know, the thing is, you know, golf is about, you know, the winner is often the person that's more consistent. Whereas, you know, we saw in the women's match play event, like the top 10 seeds, you know, all like got out in that event just because they had one off round. Whereas over the course of four straight rounds, someone that shoots a consistent three under, you know, and finishes 12 under for the tournament often would maybe win, you know, we'll say the masters kind of thing, but they have, you know, one round where the guy they're playing or the woman they're playing shoots six under and has a great round. But the next day they go out and shoot, you know, five over and they're, cause they're inconsistent. They're a boomer bust kind of player. It doesn't feel like you're necessarily going to guaranteed to crown the best player. And obviously you're never guaranteed anyone can get hot at any time. I think dub to your point, the interesting, right, the interesting part of match play is, right, you can come at like a thoroughbred and make four birdies in the first six holes. But, you know, you're right. You gotta have, the other person kind of has to strap on their boots tight and play just as good as the other person. So it actually might be better golf than you would see in stroke play. I think that's a really interesting argument. Because there's, there's so much strategery involved in it. You know, if your opponent is hitting first and they put in the water, they put in the rough, then, you know, that could conceivably change what you're doing. And just every shot that you have to consider, okay, what did my opponent do? to kind of dictate what what risk shot you might take next. Well, that's my point though. Instead of playing your own game in terms of you're you're playing your your how you want to take this course on, you're too worried about what this other person's doing, all that kind of stuff in terms of who's going to actually play the best golf over a 4-day period, which is what we see on all these majors and all these tour events that the winners of these get into. It doesn't feel like it's a one for one. It doesn't feel like it, you know, matches up properly, and especially at the amateur level where they're not going to be as consistent as, say, the PGA Tour, it feels it doesn't feel like it's right for what the prize is. Yeah, but I think the question is, what is what is the best measure of consistency? Is it beating six other players in a bracket-style tournament and winning a championship and playing consistent golf over that entire span? Or is it playing a stroke play over four days where you could shoot 10 under one day and maybe coast in at 
plus one the last two days and still win. Yeah, but I think that that comes down to like if there's a little bit of like luck of the draw, you know, kind of what we see in whether, you know, if you get the nice tee times at the players this year where you don't have to deal with all the wind and rain versus, you, you know, you get just monsoon season when you have to play. Same kind of thing. You may just get people that aren't getting hot. You could have the best, the number one ranked amateur in the world, and they just have a day where they play decent and, you know, number 64 has the round of their life. Are you really going to go and say that maybe they say 13 wins it? Are you going to say just because of this one tournament, he's the one that's actually the best and should have, you know, won the whole thing? Yeah, I think it can kind of crown a different champion and not necessarily a better or a worse champion. I just think about, you know, when you define the best golfer, do you define someone right that can consistently score over 72 holes? Or do you define, I was watching the U.S. junior girls in the semifinal match. There were two girls playing. And they were both like four or six under through 11, right? And it's like that actually should have been the championship match. So the, the girl that ended up winning that match went on to just easily win in the championship match because the other bracket wasn't quite as strong from the other side. But yeah, it's like, it's how do you define the best golfer? Is it someone who, like, I think that certain people play match play really well because they go out, they get hot, and then they just kind of coast in. But in stroke play, you're right. It's that back nine on Sunday that's more important than the first few holes of every match. So speaking of match play, we were out at Musket this past Saturday. Uh, ben and Ken versus Tully and Dub. Ken got 18 strokes. Tully got nine. And Dub and Tully took it from us. We had a little bit of a, a wonky start. Uh, but Kenny came home strong. We made a good push. Uh, but you guys took us down. What are your thoughts on the match? The combination of myself and Dub is just unbeatable. I don't know if we've ever lost an event, the two of us. I think Colin and I officially challenge you guys now just because of that. <laughs> okay. There I it is. It. There That's it is. It. Let's do it. And you're not getting nine strokes open. either, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. well, I was getting nine strokes relative. You guys would all be theoretically getting strokes there, just to clarify. So in this round, we made a reel on hole number 12, so that'll be coming out this week. That was a lot of fun. I think when we, when we thought about this round, we're like, all right, good opportunity to make some content. And we're sitting around like, let's just try and maybe film some random shots from around the day and we'll make a reel. And they were like, no, let's pick a hole. So then we're all kind of hitting these tee shots in this hole and we're all kind of thinking like, everyone's a little nervous, right? It's a little nerve wracking to be on camera. Well, we played this hole in one under par. When the lights are on, Three the stars come out, baby. Unbelievable stuff. That's a tricky hole too. When you guys see it, it's trouble on the left, trouble on the right, demanding tee shot and then a little uphill shot with a tricky green that slopes down. Please tell me Ken went driver on that one. Ken, a dead straight driver, yeah, chipped it on, it. just amazing stuff. And Dub, the ultimate risk reward, right, goes for the green, just misses, but then short game saves him, man, just like a PGA Tour yeah. pro. I think Ken was actually, like, just prototypical Ken in terms of his approach shot a little bit long into the rough. He's like, I'm going putter for sure, and then it leaves it to, like, three inches. Yeah, but, but definitely an interesting format. I think, Ben, like you said, you all kind of struggled converting early on with pars and, and even birdies. And we were, you know, scrapping together some pars, and we got an early lead. And then it, it almost diminished pretty quick. I mean, Kenny it got, got pretty it hot got there. there. I, I mean, I don't want to say he made three or four pars because it might have only been two, but it seemed like he had a five, six-hole stretch where he was under par, net speaking. And so it was a struggle to keep up with him for a few holes. Ben and Ken had a chance to close it to one on nine after we were up, you know, three with you know, six to go or something like that. 
And Ken was so chirping all the time about, oh, Tully's going to make a post. Better make sure it's going under. Blah, blah, blah. And just he was so Well, upset. and shout out to Ken, too, with a natural birdie on the round. Quoted in our first podcast episode, that he only makes a birdie on point zero 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 seven percent of his holes. So <laughs> Still yet to get that three <laughs> pars in a row, though. He's still working on that goal. Another example, Kenny hit his driver on that hole when he made birdie. I mean, just guys hitting the driver so good right now. All right, that wraps up this week's content. We'll be back in a second to talk about the upcoming BMW Championship on the PGA Tour. All right, the PGA Tour heads into the second event of the FedEx Cup playoffs this week, the BMW Championship. They're playing it at Wilmington Country Club, not too far from us. Also a course that's probably not on too many people's radars. A pretty uh, long history of amateur golf, but have never held a tour event. We're going to be seeing a pretty big beast of a course this week, par 71, playing over 7,500 yards. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on the course? And uh, if you got a player, I know we uh, – so our, for our football fantasy football draft this year, we've all picked a player, a little boring, but how they, how they finish is how we're going to determine our draft order. So we'll also talk about the players we picked. Yeah, so like as you mentioned, you know, does, we've never seen a PGA Tour event here, so it's not a course I feel like we any of us really know too much about. Kind of doing some research, you know, we saw there was a decent amount of amateurs. It's hold, hosted six different USAM events from 1913, most recently uh, to 2003. Um, they've done some renovations and stuff recently from the clubhouse and in, in like 2014. And then when they found out they did, they were getting this in 2020, they started doing some renovations as well to, to kind of extend the course, make it a little more challenging for these long ball hitters. So I also saw where this course endured a hurricane that ripped up like hundreds yeah. of trees on this course. Yeah, so. just kind of like set the stage. I <laughs> guess we're going to as well get it ready for a yeah. PGA Tour. Event. Yeah, it kind of worked out perfectly for them. But I think most interesting to me was that like, in 1966, there was, like, exhibition matches, most notably of Jack and Arnie playing, where they just kind of went head-to-head, -head and apparently Arnie was like, nah, I don't want to go hang out with President Lyndon B. Johnson. Instead, he went to this event. But, like, it came out, They I think Jack won shooting a 69. Nice. Nice. Um, and it, Which was actually the course record at the time, and then Arnie shot a 71. But both were paired with these amateurs as well. So Arnie did win the overall event. It was that little like match play hey. sort, of, sort of fun thing going Hanging on. Hanging on the end, love yeah. it. Uh, but yeah, so that, that's really the only history I can find too much about this course. It's been around for forever, but they just don't, for whatever reason, have not got to actually host PGA Tour events. And I, I feel like we've had that a couple times this year, and I, I think that makes things really interesting because you know you have no past history of you know, who's done well, who hasn't. And so to play a new course and see something different, I think is a uh, refreshing take for the tour. Yeah, like I think the Country Club, although it had hosted U.S. Opens in, in its past, it's really known for its amateur events, right? And we got to see it as a U.S. Open test, and that course ended up being amazing. I'm really looking forward to this course. I think it's, one, it's beautiful. Certainly, you got to drive the ball well at this course. We're going to have some four-inch rough with some fescue after the rough. Uh, and playing long, the greens, once they firm up, it's going to be a, a really true test this week. So who are you guys looking at this week? Who did you pick for the uh, the draft order? I guess that's where we're all probably roughly looking at. Yeah, I'll start us off. I'm hoping for beginning of the season, Scotty. Um, not so much recent, Scotty. So I'm going with Scotty Scheffler. Um, I think he's going to turn it on here at the end. We saw it early with him this year, but with the season kind of wrapping up, 
Um, I think his juices are flowing again, especially with the whole Cam thing. Um, I think he's going to kind of get a, a fire lit under him, and he's going to come back storming. He's not going to drop any further in the standings. He's like, I'm winning this thing. I was too good at the start of the year. I'm coming back. This is my time to turn it back on. Now, just out of curiosity, would you have picked someone else if you hadn't have done so well and finished in second last year? Well, yeah, the fact that I had to pick 11th didn't help, and the fact that you guys let Scotty drop to 11th is uh, bad on your part because I think he is definitely has to be a top-five pick. I think remarkable he dropped that far. I agree. I, I expected him to be gone. Yes. Well, he missed the cut last week. Oh, um, last week. <laughs> I, there's I, a reason he's so high up in the standings right now. That's like Tyler living off his second-place finish last year in fantasy football. No I can't cares. believe you didn't take Mr. MLB, Cam Young. I think that's where I had you going as as well as he's playing. But, you know, it's Scotty's number one in the world, and he was picked 11th, and he's just completely under the radar in basically every event he plays. I mean, it, it's just some wild stuff for the guy who's – Number one in the world. I think there's By two, a significant margin, yeah. too. I think there's two things about Scotty that fit really well in this course. I think one, he's an underrated driver of the golf ball. I saw one little video where the PGA Tour was took him up to the tee and said, all right, hit us a high one, hit us a medium one, hit us a low one, and they all finished dead center of the fairway. I think Scotty's driving is very underrated. And then knowing that this course is going to have such long rough that you're probably going to be missing quite a few greens. So combining Scotty's underrated driving performance as well as his incredible short game, I mean – he is number one in the world, so it's a no-brainer. But you're right. He's flying a little under the radar this week. Well, Benny, who, who do you got? And it's, I don't think it's going to surprise anybody. Yeah, I think, one number one, it doesn't surprise anyone that I got to pick, like, third because I suck at fantasy football. <laughs> so then Rory was still on the board. And like I talked about, I think that this course is going to be an incredible, demanding, driving oh, course. here and we go. There's here nobody we... in the world that drives it better than Rory the Kid events. We did find that Rory, yeah, Rory's the – the only the fewest starts in the top ten, so he's only played fourteen events this year and still top ten. I mean, that is unbelievable stuff. So much talent. <laughs> How about you, Colin? I ended up picking fourth because, like Ben, I am also terrible <laughs> fantasy football, and he took Rory. So um, I was left kind of checking back through my notes to figure out uh, can I who do I need to pick this week to make it two in a row since I did pick Will Zalatoris. Congratulations! Last week. I think we did. skipped over that in the first segment. We did. Don't care. So, Ben, you mentioned that the rough's going to be thick. We got some long holes. But I think the other defining feature about this course is it has very big greens. So, lag putting and just putting in general is going to be critical this weekend. And there's only been one guy, I think, this season so far that's gone toe-to-toe with Scotty Scheffler in a playoff and beat him, and that's my boy Sam Burns. Top 10 in putting on tour this year. So, um, even if he does kind of is not able to get it near the hole uh, and on his approach, he's definitely going to be getting it right up next to it or in and, yeah, I mean, I, I think Sam Burns, he's won three times this year on tour already. So we talk about how great Scotty's season's been. Sam has had an unbelievable year in himself, and uh, I think it's time that he kind of steps up and takes these next two events and takes home the FedEx Cup. I mean, we've seen Sam handles the pressure well, right? Winning in a playoff against Davis Riley at, like, the yeah. Valspar, right? And he played great. He made, like, a 30-footer for company. Birdie on the second hole. But, you know, Sam, too, don't sleep on Sam's driver. Sam hits the crap out of the ball. He's a top. He's probably top five in distance. Um, a little wild at times, but when it's on, I remember, I don't know, back in the season, I think actually when I picked him for the Valspar to win, I noticed that the week before – he came in like third, and he had the, like his third round. He played like one or two over par, and it's because he couldn't hit his driver on this planet. But then he led the field in driving the other three rounds. So Sam's a wonderful pick this week. Tully, how about you? So for me, when I when I was making this pick, I'm looking for someone that isn't going to win, but just finish solid. I don't need the pressure <laughs> of being the first to decide. Am I going to pick no first boom or bust and get you know anything that's going to happen? You like stroke play. I don't need to. I don't need to be like, oh, am I going to pick the last pick and get that you know double sort of situation. So I went with Matt Fitzpatrick. He's got one win, 
got one win here, but he's consistently finishing, you know, top 10, all that kind of stuff. So I figured this guy, history, playing well at the USAM kind of courses, all that kind of stuff, he's got a good chance to give me the opportunity to, for some flexibility there based off how the draft board's shaping up. I think he is your kind of guy that you're very unlikely to miss a cut with. You're probably likely to get a top 20 in. Yeah, you're probably going to you're gonna end up with the fourth or fifth selection. You get to pick somewhere that's like, you know, high and low. But, yeah, Matt Fitzpatrick, unlikely to have a chance this week. But like with him, if that putter gets hot, he could, he could take the thing for sure. And I'll be just a mental puddle trying to figure out if I wanted the first pick or the 12th pick. <laughs> How about you, W? Who'd you pick? Well, I started. My strategy was going to be to take Cam Smith because my my keeper strategy <laughs> was going to be to have the 12th pick. But then I realized the way they finish is when you get to pick your slot. So then I had to pivot at the last <laughs> second when it finally dawned on me. But Tully, you took the words right out of my mouth. I went with Justin Thomas. You know, got a roll with my boy Bradshaw and his fellow hey, Louisville native, Justin Thomas, to, uh, you know, I, I don't think his game fits this place extremely well, but I also don't see, you know, huge downside. So I'm hoping for a top 20 here so I can be middle of the road when I'm picking my draft order. Another great pick and a guy you're right. That's probably very unlikely to miss a cut with the amount of shots he has in the bag. We've seen him do just about anything. And just in case anyone's wondering, Kenny One Putt went with his favorite, Big Spain, John Rahm. John Rahm, good driver of the golf ball, man. I tell you, it's a week where drivers are just going to have a, a better chance to win. But, W, let's go back to Cam Smith. You know, we've we've talked about it a little bit, but he's decided to skip this event, citing a, a sore hip. I think that there's a lot of uh, – there's clouds looming this because we think he's going to go to live. So is he really skipping this event for an injury? We don't know. I think my argument is that even if there is something bothering him, uh, you know, Cam doesn't play this week. What's the worst he does? Drops out of maybe the top six kind of thing. So he's saying take a week off, get better if he is actually hurt. And then he's only going to maybe lose a stroke or two in the tour championship. Rumor has it he tried to fit all $100 million into his front right pocket and it hurt his hip. But I, well, mean, I also heard that, you know, the bigger reason, he's more of a Bugatti guy. He's got all this live <laughs> money now. Like BMW is so beneath him, so he just didn't want to associate with the tournament. Did you guys see some of the old school BMWs they have out on the course? you got to find the pictures. They're unbelievable. That's cool. But I, I think it's a kind of a bold move by uh, Cam here to skip out on it because, yes, you know, he's oh, he's going to give up a stroke or two. He's going to fall back a little bit in the standings, you know, all but guaranteed. But there is a world where – he could fall all the way out of the, like the top 10 in the standings and he's starting like seven strokes back. So I was looking at it like if Sam Burns, all he needs to pass Cam is like a solo 28th. Extremely reasonable, you know, for a tournament that has no cut and is only 70 people. He can't win, but solo 28th maybe. Yeah, he can't win. <laughs> he can't win. Colin can't get first overall pick. And like Tony Finau, arguably the, you know, the hottest golfer on tour, just needs to, another top 10, which, you know, it's a lot, but it's, you know, again, no cut in this event. Xander, who also has three wins on the year, needs to be in, like, sixth. Cantlay, who won the BMW last year, won the FedEx Cup, as well as Ken's, you know, favorite golfer, Sepp Straka. You know, if they have a top five here, they'll pass him. Rory, a fourth place, which, you know, obviously if only 14 events. You know, we've seen this guy clearly get a lot of FedEx Cup points. And then you have a whole slew of them. You know, JT, Sungjae, Fitzpatrick, Cam Young would all pass if they finish in the top three. So some combination of those, he could fall pretty far. And, you know, it's as good as Cam's been playing. It's going to be – it's tough to, you know, start a tournament, you know, five shots back and actually win. Yeah, and this is pretty right on brand for a live guy to just be like, yeah, I'm not concerned <laughs> with the competition here. I'm just, you know, going to take a week off, rest off, rest up, go home. 
I mean, two weeks left of the biggest tournament of the or the biggest two events of the year, you know, to finish in the season long standings, and he's gonna sit out to rest up for the final event. No, like I mean, unless you're seriously injured, you got to be out there playing. I mean, this is the grind. You got to earn it in the dirt, as Tiger says, and he's you know sitting this one out. Kind of a shame. Yeah, I think it's soft. If he was actually hurt, he wouldn't have finished last week's tournament. If you can power through that, you got, like you said, a couple weeks left. You're right there in contention. Why are you sacrificing a couple strokes when you're right there to win it? I think he's scared of my boy, Scotty. You saw his little puppy dog face when he walked in front of his line of vision. He was going, hey, hey, baby. I, I don't think he has what it takes to hold up. I think he's worried with all the scrutiny that he's taking for moving to live. And I just think he wants to hide Allegedly. for a week. The, the hide for a week just to kind of hope it all dies down. But you know he's going to come back for this final final event. And then all this talk's going to come back up. And I think he's going to fold. I think he wasn't invited to that you know, meeting with Tiger, and he's just a little butthurt. And, you know, didn't well, I did hear out. that Cam was getting some chirping at this event, actually, a little bit. So I don't I don't disagree with you, Tip. I think there might be a little bit of a, a, a sore ego there. Points are quadrupled in, in these events, as we know. So looking at some of these guys, too, that are just, you know, squeaked into this event, we got Alex Noren, Taylor Pendrith, and Mark Leishman, 68 through, 60, or through 70. These guys really only need probably a top 10 finish to squeeze themselves into the top 30 to get into it. So it should be a really exciting week of golf. I'm just really looking forward to when a guy's finishing up on like round three or four on his last hole and they're like, oh, he needs to make this putt to break into the top 30 and keep his season going. I love that this time of year. Yeah, I mean, 30 people alone, you know, that's a, that is a tough, that's a small collection of players. So it is really, it is exciting to see these guys play all these stroke play events, not match play, and really get to see who's the most consistent throughout the year to get into these, you know, tour championship. Well, in the, you know, I think the argument is that most of these guys play golf because they love it. But when you start thinking about how much money you could make if you get hot in a tour championship, just getting into that thing is already a big payday. And then if you go out and shoot a bunch of rounds in the mid-60s or something like that and work your way up the leaderboard, we're talking millions and millions of dollars. Isn't the winner of like the tour championship like $10 million? Yeah, it's a lot. All right, that does it here for us this week. Make sure to watch the BMW Championship at Wilmington Country Club. If you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram, follow us at Big Players Only Pod, and check out our presenting sponsor at Four Craft Cocktails, the best premix transfusion on the market. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>